Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of kids that I don't know what the reason is. They just don't seem to. It's not that they don't want to work. It's that nobody's ever like pushed them to do any, um, you know, any real. Uh... Hey, thanks for checking out this episode. I wanted to give you a little bit of a, um, a little bit of an introduction to what we're talking about today. My guest is a friend of mine from Zephyr Hills, Florida, named Lawrence Vickstrom. He has a ministry where he helps people, um, especially people who are homeless or maybe struggling with some type of addiction or some type of um, behavior or lifestyle that is keeping them um, keeping them from becoming everything that they want to be or that God might um, have in store for them. And so he helps guide people and give them the hand ups that they need, sometimes giving them handouts, but really those are a tool for a hand up to living the life and the potential that they have. But I wanted you to know before you get too invested in this that we do cover some very um, graphic type things or at least potentially um, upsetting if you have certain things that have um, unfortunately touched your life. Some of the things that we discuss involve um, people who have been taken advantage of, abused, raped, and um, abuse that happened to Lawrence in a church setting when he was young. And as um, sickening as that is, as unfortunate that is, we don't shy away from it in this episode. We didn't get into details on that, of course, but I just want you to know that that is a subject matter that we talk about because it's part of his story and his testimony. Lawrence is very open with sharing it. He's um, written about it. He's got um, a couple books that he's authored and um, some uh, times where he shared that testimony, both in Celebrate Recovery and in other ministries. He shared it with people that he's uh, working with that are on the streets. And his goal or dream through all of that is that people would find some type of hope the same way that he found hope through Jesus Christ. And Jesus and the church that um, we call the Christian church has played a major role over the last several years of shaping and forming Lawrence to the man that he is today and the way that he's able to help others. So if um, if you listen to that uh, little disclaimer at the front end and feel like you can um, tune in through the rest of this episode, I'd encourage you to do that. I believe it'll be helpful either to you for maybe things that you're going through or as you help guide others on a uh, path to success in their lives. So uh, tune in, watch for a little bit here and um, see what you might gather from this. Thanks for being part of this. Lawrence, how are you doing, man? Good to, good to be with you. I'm blessed, man. Good yeah. day. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, good stuff. Um, I, uh, I've, I've known you for a good long good long time now, quite a few years, and um, it's been uh, interesting to kind of work alongside of you in some of the things that you do. But uh, before we get into all that, um, you know, I want to talk a little bit. You you just kind of had a little, uh, I don't know if adventure is the right word, but just you had some time where you were up in, um, well, first you were here in Florida working. We both live in Zephyr Hills here, mm -hmm. and you were with the Renaissance Festival, right? Yeah. And so what was some of the stuff you got into there? Like, what was that like just working with them? Um, I would say most of the, the people that I, I came across, you know, except for the people that own um, the the rides and the di different consignment um, areas mm -hmm. are displaced and they're um they're wandering they they actually have a lot of them habits and mm -hmm. um so um what i was what i saw when i was working with them was 
Um, they were running from whatever their their issues were. Not necessarily like running from legal stuff or, or just kind of whatever stuff was in their past, in their background. They're just thinking, if I just get on the road, um, kind of like people that travel for a fair or a circus, kind of same idea. They're just going to a different place all the time and running from something. Yeah, I would say, you know, and even with their, their habits that they're picking up on the road, that um, they're using that to escape from whatever their their issues are. You know, um, and what I was seeing was a lot of them were just, um, you know, broken relationships, broken homes, or just yeah. never dealt with their issues along the way. So, uh, it, you know, it was eventful, um, but the thing was, is working alongside um, a lot of these guys, um, they don't want to be fixed. Mm -hmm. They don't. They don't want God to repair it. They just want to keep. Um, stay on the hamster wheel of life and continue on with the, these issues. So, um, you know, it was about a month that I worked um, and it was about two and a half weeks I, I went up to Tennessee. And when I went up there, it was just um, every single day dealing with, you know, people with their, their issues and and not wanting no kind of support at all to, to get away from their issues. So, what uh, what kinds of stuff were you doing though with the Renaissance Festival? I mean, what was that? What was your job? Like, what was your? Did you have one main responsibility, or just kind of floated around um, all over the place, or what? When I went, when I was here locally, I, what I did was um, I I popped kettle corn. Okay. Um, and then um, I I helped around the grounds as far as uh, to the Renaissance, you know, cleaned up. And then when I traveled to Tennessee. What I was doing was help setting up yeah. um, some of the rides and setting up the... Did you guys get to go see that big castle that's there at all? Was it right at that castle? It was right at the castle. The, the thing is, the person that, that owns that castle used to own all the property down below. Um, and he, it, that's actually a live-in castle. Right. So they're actually living in that that facility, in that, that castle itself, so they don't let nobody on the grounds at all. And now they sold the property down below to um, to the county there. So now the county is running that that Renaissance Festival. So there's actually no alcohol allowed on the grounds there. Oh, really? So you know, it's it's gonna. I don't know how that Renaissance really <laughs> went, but I'm sure there was going to be a lot more people that that actually go to church and 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 so on that would yeah. probably show up at that one because. There's no alcohol. That's that's really interesting to me that they have that ban because I know um, specifically one of the big events that happens in Zephyr Hills, the Barbecue and Blues Festival uh, that they have every every year in the spring. Um, they say that that's kind of their make it or break it thing is having beer sales. You mm -hmm. know, what, that's what actually enables it to be. That's what pushes them over the line to be profitable. If they took that portion of it out, you know, it's not a profitable event for mm -hmm. the people that are running the you know the event so that's kind of interesting to me that, that they would run it without doing that and still expect to make any kind of a profit off of it which you know i i think that's good if you can run an event without serving alcohol but i'm just from a showrunner viewpoint it's just kind of interesting you know that they would do that and that's that show has been going there for 35 years yeah so it's real um, well known yeah it's very well known it's probably before they took away the alcohol this year 
It was probably one of the biggest Renaissance festivals yeah. there is, besides the one in Michigan. Yeah, yeah, I'd say that one that one up around Detroit's probably you know huge. I mean, that's yeah. it's funny you know because I've lived I've lived in Michigan, I've lived in Tennessee, and now down here in Florida, and it just seems like it's chasing me or something. I don't know, but <laughs> but that Renaissance festival's all over the place, and I I just took it for granted. I thought maybe every every area has one, but no, it's like it's the same group, right? Traveling to right. these different things, so. Um, rather than being like a carnival or a festival, like a, a county fair or something where they're in a different one every every couple of weeks. I mean, it stays in town for, you know, a couple months, right? right. I mean, it was there for a little while. Um, and, and, you know, the funny thing is I got frustrated with it because I like to go up to this place up by the river. That's just the, there's a little boat launch there, but, it you know, it's just a real small river, the Withlacoochee River. And so I'll go hang out over there sometimes, walk, uh, walk along the lake shore, maybe just set my little like folding camp chair down, maybe with a notepad mm -hmm. and, you know, I'll do some of my studies and thoughts that I'll write there. And so I usually take like the back way in, which is up the dirt road that goes kind of past where the landfill is. And it's one of these dirt roads that's got like all these like ripples and washboards and, and there's two ways to go, like two miles an hour or 50 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. which people say probably isn't safe, but I grew up on these roads and I know how to drive it without like sliding out. And I got so frustrated because there's all these like people that were going to the Renaissance festival. <laughs> I should have come up river road on the paved road and taken that way. Instead right. I'm like stuck behind these people. I'm like, don't do it. Don't pass these people. Cause it's a pretty wide road and I could have right. gone up the middle and passed all these cars, but I'm like, don't be that guy, you know? So I just had to like bite my, hold my gas foot gas pedal foot back a little be restraint and say okay i'm not going to do that right but yeah i'm like i didn't want to go to the festival i just wanted to go up to the river and hang out like a redneck in a lawn chair you know just sitting there by the <laughs> by the water <laughs> uh, so yeah um so so you actually grew up around detroit right yeah like speaking of the renaissance festival there um you grew up around detroit and it's uh you know it's earned quite a reputation like Detroit has it has a reputation of being the way it is for a reason because you know it is I mean it really is like that but um, you know there's movies like eight mile and stuff like that you know mm -hmm. that really depict it but you kind of lived near that stuff right I mean you lived in that kind of area where like that movie eight mile was and all that two stuff. miles from eight mile yeah so I mean like what was that like I mean what was what was your um, you know, what was kind of a daily routine for you growing up around there? Um, I grew up on, actually on the east side, which was um, over by Clark Park area. And then we moved um, to Wayne Westland, um, then Westland, then, um, you know, I, I, I moved around a lot in the suburbs um, of Detroit. And then we moved up to northern Michigan. And then... Where were you at up north? Uh, Gladwin. Oh, nice. Yeah, I know Gladwin really well. I yeah. used to go to, there was a camp there that we'd go for, like, retreats for our youth mm -hmm. group. And it was the Good News Camp. I think yeah, it's still no, there. Yeah, yeah it's still, still there. there. But there was this, um, they had this chapel there that was all, like, pine, had these big logs holding it up. Mm -hmm. Were you ever, like, on the campgrounds yes. inside of that? Somebody, that thing burned down accidentally. They had, like, a big, uh, one of those kerosene heaters, you know, that sounded mm -hmm. like a jet engine. And somebody was refueling it like some kid or something and spilled it and it caught fire and burned that whole chapel down. And for me that like that hurt because it was it was one of the places that I remember as a teenager going there a lot 
and really meeting with God there. And it was just like it broke my heart when I found out that it didn't exist anymore. Even though I haven't been up there since then, it just just knowing that that place was gone just really you right. know, ate at me. But yeah, I love that little that little area. It's real nice up there. I graduated from Gladwin High School. Okay. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, and then um, then I moved to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And then I moved when I moved to after I moved to Fort Lauderdale, I moved back down to Detroit itself. Yeah. So you know, I um. Growing up, um. I've seen a lot of things that I shouldn't have seen, you know, because on the east side, my mom was a bartender. Yeah. Um, and um, through her second marriage, well, I don't want to, let me, let me not skip ahead. Okay. Um, well, why don't you tell your story how you want to tell? Okay. Um, as a child, I was, I was um, produced out of, I was produced out of rape. My biological father um, was my mom's scout skate partner, and he uh, took advantage of my mom on the way home one day. And um, so, in a way, I'm glad my mom did not, you know, at, at, in them times they didn't, abortion was coming around, but it was not a, a popular thing like it was today. So, you were you were born in what nineteen sixty nine sixty eight sixty eight so Roe v Wade was like nineteen seventy four I think so oh, okay so it was it was a few years out but I mean that doesn't mean that doesn't mean they weren't available it doesn't mean people mm. weren't having abortions it just wasn't like legal or nearly mm. as um, well you know easy to obtain I guess as right. they, they came so so your mom brought you to term I mean you're here mm, right obviously. so you know there was a time where I I, I guess. Well, that's even, see, I never even researched that to know if that was, um, abortions were actually legal at that time. So that kind of even, you know, blows my mind even more because yeah. of, um, sex out of, side, side of marriage, you know, it, it was something that was happening, but it was not as popular as yeah. people make it, sure. make it seems like it was because it was the 60s or whatever it was. Right. You know, right. well, and and even with, um, you know, even with so so not to take your story and just like overlay it over um, current arguments that people are having today, but mm -hmm. like you know, so the, the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court is uh, allegedly talking about perhaps overturning that 1974 um, ruling on Roe v. Wade, and you know what that'll end up meaning. Honestly, I don't know that most people myself especially i don't think we really understand what the implications that are because that'll mean states can still make their own ruling it's just not protected by the federal courts um but you know one of the arguments that people have is well what about a case of of rape or incest or something like that you know shouldn't shouldn't that pregnancy be allowed to be terminated at that point mm -hmm. and you know i don't think people realize just how many um, I've worked with a guy that, you know, similar story. I mean, his mom had been raped, and, and that is horrible and tragic and should never happen, period. You know, full stop. Never should happen. Mm -hmm. um, and yet at the same time, there's people who are saying, well, she should be able to terminate that pregnancy if she wants to. But, you know, you or my coworker, you know, there's a bunch of people out there that they'd be like, well, what about me? You know, I wouldn't be here. And, mm -hmm. like, I might have had some bumps along the way, but, like, I'm still glad I have my life, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and I think when we start talking about 
oh, women should be able to, to have abortions, is, you know, whenever and for whatever reason they want. It's like we're talking about children that will be born and grow up to be a person, a human being. Not that they're not a human already, but I'm saying like, you know, they'll grow up to be people among us. And we don't think, oh, well, you should have been aborted. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Um, that's that'd be horrible and cruel to think, to say. And yet people are basically making that argument. And, and I don't like that. I don't think that that's I don't think that's very good for human beings to say women should just be allowed to do that just because um, because it started out as a rape type situation. You're you're here as a testimony of God's grace. You know? But I was born on a rape and I should have a choice to be able to say, OK, I just want to take my life and, and, and kill myself. And I would have so many people stand in my way and sit there and say, that's wrong. That's whatever. Mm. But. They can turn around and the same breath out of the same breath be the first one in line to go and board a kid. Yeah. And 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 so murder's murder, and you know, and, and I, I I'm 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 sorry if you don't identify a child um, inside the womb, not a child. Yeah. You, you know that's 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 a tough argument to have, but any living creature, I mean, an animal on the street. A, 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 a cat that has a litter of kittens and, and the kittens, the mother dies and the kittens are laying there. Them kittens have more rights than a baby does, yeah, a human baby does today. And, yeah, and, and that's, that's from a legal standpoint, I think you're right, that's accurate. Um, you know, one of the things though that I want to push back on a little bit is, and I hear a lot of people say it, is, um, you know, abortion is murder. And... And while I don't believe we should be um, ending the life of killing uh, an unborn child, um, I honestly don't like hearing people say that because I think a lot of people make that choice out of ignorance. It's not in their mind or in their heart. It's not the same as murdering because they've been told over and over again a lie. And that lie is this is just a clump of cells. It's just a whatever. And so I think, you know, it's one of those like kind of trying to catch what is it, you know, you catch more flies with honey than with vinegar right. or whatever. And, you know, if we're trying to actually uh, love on people and convince them of the truth, you know, I think I think it's a lot easier for us to say, you know what, I don't think it's ever right to, to do an abortion to, no. to take the life of that child. Um, but I think one of the things that, that people that are um, in favor of the life of the unborn, pro-life as we've been called, I think it's important for us to start saying like, hey, you know, stop saying abortion is murder, but start saying, you know, abortion is taking a life. And um, it might not be with malice or hatred, but a lot of times I think a decision is made out of hopelessness or not knowing what else to do or where to turn. And whether it's doctors or people, in, you know, within the culture of our country have told them that this is okay, this is just a medical procedure and things like that. And so we need to reclaim the truth there. And at the same time, I think it'd be, I think it'd be wise for us to stop saying, oh, abortion is murder because... Not, not, not necessarily, you know, it's, they're told that it's not even a life. And so that's just, sorry, that's my soapbox. That's my two cents worth. But, mm -hmm. um, I think that would help, uh, you know, that would help us to be able to s sound a lot more loving and compassionate. Right. Um, and even murderers deserve the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Well, I didn't mean to say that. Uh, no, no, I know, and I know you didn't. Yeah. I, that was just kind of like that was just kind of like breaking the fourth wall, and you know, just kind of having outside of our conversation, just kind of a mm -hmm. conversation for, um, for people listening, and just mm -hmm. if I can say like, hey, that's something that I believe, um, that we can do and we can change because I'm, 
I'm very adamantly pro-life, mm-hmm. and and that's not just for unborn children. That's there's a lot of things that I think are killing people, mm-hmm. and I hope to have other guests on that actually talk about those things. And I've got some that I've invited, some that I plan to line up that'll talk about those issues. But we've got to have um, we've got to have a shift, I think, in in our language a little bit because some mm-hmm. of the language about these issues has been stolen from Christians and from the church, and it's been twisted. And I say it's time to take it back, but that also means we have to police our own language right. and say I'm not gonna I'm not gonna use certain key buzzwords or phrases mm-hmm. that that get a lot of attention, but actually harm what we're trying to say. Right. So that's kind of why I was saying that it was just kind of like um, it wasn't even so much to jump on your case as just to make a, a statement for anyone to hear that says like we can do better, you know? Right. But anyway, so I agree with that. Yeah. You know, yeah. I totally do. Uh, so anyway, thanks for indulging my, my soap. I mean, I know it's the nickel talk about anything podcast, but really I want to hear from you. Um, so sorry for, for interrupting that a little bit, but so go back, um, back to your story a little bit. All right. Um, so I grew up the only biological, um, child in between my mother and my, my biological father. Um, after this happened, he ended up, um, he was in the Marines. He ended up going to Vietnam. And when he went to Vietnam, he never... It's not like he died over there, or he just never come back to mm. the house. Yeah. Um, so um, my mom never got no support from him. It was like he didn't... He produced a child, and then he never existed again. Okay. Um, and so after a period of time of not getting no, no support, no no communication no nothing they ended up getting a divorce now they had, they had actually um they had actually gotten married right at, uh, was it like... um it was um, and i guess i skipped i kind of skimmed over this but they were um it was out of force he he was told that he had to marry my mom yeah. Um, and my grandpa. Kind of like the old school shotgun wedding. I mean, legitimately. And, and legitimately, it, it, and it was probably that way because that's the way my biological. I mean, that's that's how my grandfather was back then. He yeah. didn't play. Right. You know, um, and he was not somebody that you just told no to. Yeah. You know, he had eight kids and they all. They fell in line. Uh, they did what line, he said. Yeah. What they said. Yeah. And this, you know, he was just not somebody that, you know, he worked hard and. But he wasn't going to have some, you know, bastard kid sitting there at the house, you know, and and not having somebody take responsibility for that that child. Gotcha. So so he made your biological father marry your mom. And -hmm. then, you know, he goes off to Vietnam Mm -hmm. and really isn't around after that. Like just, you know, for probably, I mean... Forcing somebody to be married, in my opinion, is not just because of a child. Isn't a, it's not a great thing. Like it's not going to create a healthy marriage or relationship, especially one that started, you know, wrong. Right. You know what I mean? And and so, um, I remember I remember counseling this couple that had been um, they'd had a child, and they were, uh, you know, like they were they barely knew each other. I don't even know. It might have been just like a one night stand real early in their relationship with no intentions of staying together or anything like that. And they had this kid and they kind of like swap custody, co-parenting, whatever it's called today. But 
they they never like they never got married but then later on you know of course they got to know each other better as their child's growing up and everything and they started actually dating each other like years like two three four years later and and they ended up getting married you know it was just it was actually really sweet that mm-hmm. you know that they were able to fall in love the right way not because they were forced to or forced to get married and so you know that is something that i think you know um getting married just because you're having a kid isn't necessarily a great idea like i don't think that that makes it right and clearly mm-hmm. despite your grandpa's desires it didn't really help anything right no if anything it hindered it yeah um because i i feel you know um talking to my mom and sh- she won't admit it but uh, you know i remember the looks and i remember um just growing up and and where she liked to distance herself from me i feel yeah. that every time she looked at me she was looking at her rapist basically. yeah wow. wow so um so she did eventually get remarried and when she did she had three more children so i always felt literally that i was a black sheep yeah i always felt outcast and then also with um everything that happened in in between me and my mom i you know i i, I just thought there was just she did whatever she could to you know, to put me off in a room or, or sure. put me over here or, you know, I had a nanny growing up and, um, you know, I would be at my nanny's house or I'd be at my grandmother's house or I, you know, and the other kids would be going with my mom wherever she was going. So it just, I just felt, you know. So it's, it's kind of like, um, not to call you Cinderella, but I mean, kind of like that story, like she's the step kid and I mean, you weren't, you know. Mm-hmm. You weren't, um, you weren't included in the nice stuff, the fun stuff, whatever. You were just kind of tossed aside. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that probably doesn't, probably doesn't do much for you, like no. psychologically or developmentally or any of those things that, you know, whatever the professionals are, you know, that they would deal with. Like, it doesn't do very well to set you up good in life, does it? Well, it, it taught me how to be a loner. And, 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 and the thing was, is, um, you know, being as a child and being that way, it's hard to, to get rid of them habits when you become an adult, um, you know, because I don't, truly, I don't know how to make friends. Truly, I don't know how to talk to people. And truly, there's, there's, there's times where I say things and I'm just having a conversation, but it's just, people like, where did that even come from? You know, yeah. so, you know, being able to talk and being able to relate is hard sometimes. Oh, I would say a lot of times, you know, I yeah. just, you know, because there's a lot of times I'm scatterbrained and a lot of times I I might even, my expressions and the way I talk and stuff like that, when something hits, you know, when I talk to people, I, I, I'm, I'm sincere mm-hmm. and, and I don't know how to be, to to hold things back. I don't know how to, I just, I'm, I'm extremely rough all the time and I, I speak what's on my mind and well, some people and can't handle that. I, I think, I think one of the things, you know, a lot of times people confuse, um, sincerity with like bluntness or just like almost brutal honesty. You know, mm-hmm. if you're, you know, there's, there's so many people that don't know how to be truly sincere in anything in their life. Mm-hmm. We keep we keep so much hidden or blocked off or sheltered, and so when somebody's actually 
is kind of open and honest about themselves or about what they think, uh, people don't know how to handle that. Like they don't know what to do with that because they don't, they're not used to seeing it anywhere. And for sure there's got to be times where you're like tactful or, or just kind of like gentle with bringing stuff across. And maybe that's, you know, maybe that's what you're talking about where you're like, you know, you thought I struggle with that sometimes, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a pastor of a church and people will be like, how's your church going? And I'm like, uh, like how much of the story do you want? You know, right. like, do you, do you want to find like the latest, you know, horrible things that went on in people's lives that are threatening to disrupt everything? Or do you want to, you want me to say like, yeah, it's going all right. Cause I mean on the, you know, overall it is going all right. But, but it's like, you know, sometimes people, they're not really ready for that kind of honesty. And sometimes people, what they meant was, Hey man, you doing okay today? You know, they didn't really want the like, mm -hmm. well, no, actually my day's gone to crap from the moment I woke up, you know, mm -hmm. like they don't want that answer. And so, well, don't ask me that question then. <laughs> right. Because, uh, you know, I, if anything, I, you know, God has challenged me that there's times where he puts people in my life and it's because they need to be told exactly how my day's been. Yeah. Yeah. And, if they can see the the hope in my my life and the hope in my story and the way way my life is going, they might inspire them to 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 have a better day themselves. Sure. So if if I'm lying and saying, "Oh, my day's going good," and I and I'm like, "Man, I I just had a horrible day all day today," and and I'm so here I am. I'm hiding. I'm taking away that guy's blessing. I'm I'm yeah. or that person's blessing. And I'm ruining a blessing for myself. So I, I've learned to be sincere and, and, and or, or be honest when I talk to people. Sure. And, and I don't hide it no more. But the thing is, is it's hard to deal with society because they don't know how to deal with, you know, people being honest. Yeah. Somebody would rather listen to somebody, oh, I'm doing good, so they can keep going. Well, in know. a way, we feel like we did our part to be like, hey, how are you doing? Like, we were actually being polite, but really what we wanted was we wanted to lie. We didn't want to really know how you're doing. We just mm -hmm. wanted to, to feel like we said a polite greeting, mm -hmm. and it allows you to move on and to me to move on and me to never actually get to know you or be part of your, your life and everything. And, and so often people are just looking for, like, just the easiest, simplest interactions and not actual, like, true companionship, friendship you know, true fellowship. Well, then don't, don't, don't look me in the face and call me brother and don't come up to me and give me a hug and say, I love you, man. Yeah. You know, two things, you know, if I'm not your brother, don't, don't call me brother. And then yeah. if, don't tell me you love me if you don't want to hear me be sincere when I talk to you. You know, so many times I think we just really don't know what to say. And so we say all this dumb stuff that comes mm -hmm. out of our mouths. And it's like, why are we saying that? I mean, um, I've had uh, recently uh, two, you know, two different people that I'm friends with or that I know who had somebody close to them pass away, and like the most recent one, it was just two nights ago, I think, and I, I texted her and I was like, I, I'm so sorry, I don't even have words to say. I just wanted you to know that that I'm thinking about you, and that you're in my prayers and your family, mm -hmm. like. I'm not going to say I'm sorry for your loss. Like, what What does that even mean? I mean, yeah, I, I am, I guess, you know, for sure. But, like, what does that really change somebody's life? But to say, like, I'm with you in your time of suffering. Like, I'm 
I'm, I'm sympathetic with what you're going through. And, and if, if, if there's ever any time you want to reach out to me, I'm here for you mm-hmm. whenever, you know, but, but I'm not going to try to force them to have a conversation with me about their loved one that passed away or any of this or that. Um, and I'm not going to say anything where they feel like they got to say, okay, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. I just want to say like, there's some solidarity here. I'm with you. And, and, um, and I don't have any words. Like there's nothing that I can say that's going to make the situation better, but maybe just reaching out and letting you know that I'm here helps a little bit. I don't know. Well, when it comes on to, to funerals and people passing on, the first question I ask is, were they saved? Yeah. You know, if they weren't saved, then, then it makes it a little bit harder. You know, if they're saved, then I, I have a whole different way of dealing different with that. perspective, really. Yeah. I would rather have a celebration of life than a funeral. Yeah. You know, and, you know, because I'm, I, you're celebrating that I'm here, there, and, 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 and you know what? I can't wait till you get there. Yeah. You know, don't well, don't be crying I, over my cost casket because I'm dead because I'm not crying. Yeah. You know, you know, you're right. I I I told I told people countless times they're like, is that what you're wearing to the funeral? And I'm like, yeah, because I refuse to wear black to the funeral of somebody mm-hmm. that knew Jesus Christ. I'm not sitting here mourning over it. That doesn't mean that we don't miss the person. That doesn't mean that we don't have sadness or fondness when we think about them. Um, just earlier, like a couple hours ago, I was recounting a story about my grandfather. And and I just I just had this, like, yeah, I missed him, you know, and he's been gone for like seven years now. And 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 I mean they were old. Like he was ninety six when he died. My grandma was ninety nine when she died. And you know, it's not like we had a short time on earth. We had a good long time. And, and that doesn't mean I don't miss him, though. I do. Um, but at the same time, there's no, um, there's no darkness there. It's, it's, a, it's a sadness because I know that I can't hear those words from his mouth anymore. I can't be next to him. I did this, this little hand gesture earlier talking about someone. I was like, oh, there's this cap thing. And, and I was with my mom, and I re- remembered that that was what my grandfather, he would do these little gestures. I said, I looked at my mom across the table. I said, did you notice that was like Howard, you know, that was like my grandfather. And I just, I, you know, I saw it at that point, but at the same time, when we did his funeral, it wasn't a funeral. It was a celebration of his life because we truly had a lot to celebrate that he had done. He was faithful in his walk with Christ, faithful in his marriage relationship and, and as a father and grandfather. And it's like, why are we going to sit here mourning and sad and crying? And, and so, yeah, I'm. I'm not gonna wear mourning clothes. I'm not gonna wear black clothes. I'm not mm-hmm. gonna sit there and say wear a clown outfit, man. <laughs> he might have liked that too. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, come to my funeral, man. You, you yeah. know, my celebration of life. You know, wear a clown outfit and and just, you know, have a big barbecue. Oh mm-hmm. man, I'm telling you, um, barbecues are great. And so we went to uh, up in uh, Dade City, just north of here, north of Zephyr Hills. There's a um, it, it was like Pizza Hut. I don't know if it's everywhere, but around here they closed down all of their dine-ins, which for me was like I will never have to go to Pizza Hut again. Pretty much, it, the only reason I ever went was for the the lunch buffets. I like, yeah. or if there was a group of people that wanted to go out for pizza and we didn't want to pay like the twenty dollars a large price at the like Italian restaurant or whatever. But pretty much, I never went to Pizza Hut except for lunch buffet. And so they closed those down. They went to carry out and delivery only. So I'm like. I'm not going back there, you know, but, um, there's a shop that opened up. It's a barbecue and ice cream place and it was good. Like it was solid. It was great. Like the pulled, like 
when I go to a barbecue place, mm-hmm. I try out the pulled pork first. Right. It's like I'm just going to start with kind of those basics and be like, okay, can you do pulled pork right? If you can do that right without ruining that, you know, let's step it up. Let's try some ribs. Let's try some brisket next time. Stuff like that. So what's your, uh, like, what's your go-to with barbecue? What do you enjoy? Pulled pork. I like chicken. Yeah. A, a pulled chicken is amazing. Pulled chicken good, yeah. A, they can do a pulled chicken and it's not dried out. Right. And it's not too saucy because they, they dried it out and now they got to clop a bunch of sauce into it. I hate when they just add sauce to it to cover yeah. up whatever mistakes they made. Right. So, so and, and then don't shred it. Cube it. And because okay. or tear it you know yeah. so you're getting chunks instead of just you know yeah and, and and when you rip it up like that it tends to dry out more right so you know um so chicken is a little bit harder than pork is, is. Yeah. you know is. to keep keep it the way it should be so if they can do pulled chicken right then generally i you know i can trust anything else on, yeah. on your menu some some uh some barbecue shops for their chicken they'll make like a white barbecue sauce and mm-hmm. when they nail that oh my goodness that is fire i mean mm-hmm. there's a place um, it's up on the hill on the bend on i-75 in chattanooga tennessee uh called sugars like yes sugars ribs and barbecue or whatever and they've got this uh white sauce that's just fantastic and it's like dude it's just yeah because i'm seeing science for that and i didn't go but i, I can't tell you how many times I've driven past that in my life. Finally, we just stopped in there one time, and it didn't disappoint. It was pricey. Like, I mean, I felt like it at a time. It might not be. I don't know. But but I just remember, like, I don't even think we got that much food, and I still spent, like, 30 bucks, and I felt like we just got, like, a couple entrees. I mean, not even entrees. I mean, like, just a couple meats and, like, no sides and, like, drank water. I mean, it just felt like it was ridiculously priced, but... They got like sheep and goats climbing on the hillside, like on top of the building. Oh wow! It's a little kitschy place, you know. It's kind of cool, but um, you know, Chattanooga is this weird little town. It's kind of cool, and yet it's like industrial and looks worn down and run mm-hmm. down. And I really don't know if it's run down or not, because I always just cruise through there, and then we stop that one time. Other than that, I go through Chattanooga to get somewhere else. All right. So I don't know how it is, but yeah, that place is good. When they do that white sauce, I'm like right on, and it goes really well with the chicken. You know? All right. So, uh, what about the um, those like claws that like rip apart the meat for like pulled pork yes. and stuff? You got any of those? I had a set of them, and I don't know what happened <laughs> to them. Yeah, yeah. Well, so um, you know, we we were we kind of left your story for a little bit, got lighthearted for a moment, but mm-hmm. um, you know, you're you're talking about you know being in being around you know your family, being kind of the uh, the outcast, you know, a little bit almost, and things like that. Learning, you know, set you up to be a loner. Um, so where do you, where do you want to go with your story from there? I so I ended up going to school, and when I went to school, they they put me in a cubicle um, in special ed classes. Not because I couldn't learn; it's because um, I was just bored. Yeah. Um, I, I had ADHD and ADHD, um, and so. And my mom was anti-drug on all that stuff, okay. adrenaline and all that stuff back then. And really, there was no such thing as a mental health back when I was in school. Right. And then dealing with all this stuff was, where's my bio, where's my father at? And asking all these questions and, you know, um, and I was going through a lot, you know, as a child. 
So now your mom's gotten remarried at this point, right? So, yeah, her second husband. She's been married three times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so she, you've got you've got younger siblings now at this mm-hmm. point in life. How many? I, I, I three. I got two brothers and one sister. Okay. Um, and so going to school and and just dealing with life at the age age of eleven. Um, we were going to a church. Um, and I don't want to disclose the name of the church, but. We were going to a church, and it was very tight-knit and very close. And um, I ended up being a, um, taken advantage of by somebody at our church. So, at they, and that went on for a period of time. And, and then um, this person ended up leaving the church, and my mom had a babysitter that took care of us kids and I was abused by one of the babysitters and then um another one um after that one so I was abused from the age of 11 till I was 15 by three different people um thanks, so thanks for opening up and sharing that um and that's pretty heavy stuff mm-hmm. uh, and I know you've shared your story you know especially those parts of your story before and so it's not your first time doing that but thanks for being willing to put that out there mm-hmm. what would you think are some things that I mean you talked about two different scenarios one is in a church which that's that should never happen but it's way too common unfortunately mm-hmm. and it's not relegated to one thing or another you know I mean people think of like the Roman Catholic Church like that a lot of times because they've had their scandals for sure but then just recently, um, like within the last few days, the Southern Baptist Convention just came out with a report that they did, like a, they had a third-party um, investigation, I think, that they submitted to voluntarily, I believe. And they found a lot of cases where there was, um, you know, abuse that happened within local churches. A lot of times it was just kind of swept under the rug. Mm-hmm. What are some things that you think or you would see that, it, that churches could and should be doing to protect young people and all ages i mean it's not just kids that this happens to but what should churches be doing to protect that i really think i really think that we should be looking focusing more on to um when we i wouldn't even dialing in what hurts habits and hang-ups that people are dealing with what so so actually like being able to uh, look at somebody when you know that they've got a problem Mm -hmm. and and say hey you know i think i think there's some stuff you know you you can't just come in on sunday morning to service and act like everything's okay like we can see beyond that and we know that you've got Mm -hmm. some issues going on and those issues if they if they sit there and simmer they're going to eventually boil and they're going to boil over and they're going to hurt people Mm -hmm. if they haven't already and so let's start actually addressing that like we actually care about i mean it'd be like if if i bumped into you and you're over at the golden corral buffet every day just down in six eight plates of food eventually i'm gonna be like man listen i care about you and i see mm-hmm. what you're doing is it's gonna kill you it's gonna hurt you i still remember this time i went to this chinese buffet with um a roommate that i had way back in the day before i was married and there's this guy and he was just so like just massively overweight he he had like i think oxygen or something or either that or he just couldn't he was breathing so hard but i mean he was he was sweating just to walk up to the buffet and get another plate of food and he just kept doing it and and i mean it was immature like we were young but i just my roommate and i we had both gotten up and got some food and we sat back down we just looked at each other and just kind of started laughing because it was so absurd 
that this guy was literally eating himself to death. And I was like, the the guy at the buffet, right? He's like, yeah. And we just kind of had this moment where we're like, it wasn't like we were laughing to make fun of him. It was just we we couldn't believe it almost. It was just like incredible that this was happening. But when you see something like that, you want to step in and be like, can can I help you stop this somehow? This This is hurting you and it's going to hurt everyone around you. So I think what you're saying is when we see people with they might not have necessarily tendencies as extreme as what happened to you, but they, when we see people trending towards something like that, we're like, we're so quick to say, well, don't judge, right? Well, what if that judgment is just and justified? You know what I'm saying? Like, we need to have that. We, have we, a, we need to have more of that. We have a program through um, Celebrate Recovery called The Landing. The Landing? Yeah, and which is, uh, um, it's Celebrate Recovery for Children. Okay. So I I can see where they may be moving that on a on a on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. So when kids are coming, especially in a lot of these big bigger churches and stuff that have staff, that they can say, okay, I I, I see these issues with these some of these children, and yeah. you you can see if you've been down this road or or have had any hurts or any addictions in your past you can see people that's going down a certain road right and right. it's not being judgmental it's just you since you've been there you already know yeah so you know and it's, um, it's like the guy at the buffet i mean it, i don't have any right to speak into his life but if i mm-hmm. see you or a friend or somebody there doing that same stuff i'm gonna be like man i see the road you're going down this is mm-hmm. not good for you this right. is not healthy and it's it's unloving if i don't say anything right 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 i mean it really especially is. if you call me brother and you tell me <laughs> you love me right i better i better do it then right like i better step in on that you case. know and, and if you're a christian and and we have a responsibility if i'm a christian you're a christian we have a responsibility to look out for our brothers yeah. we have a responsibility you know we are going to be held we are going to be held accountable for what we do and what we don't do in life yeah you know um so we are our brother's keeper. It says that in the Bible. Right. Yeah. Uh, so the first the first guy to murder somebody, it was like early on in civilization. And one dude murdered his brother, Cain and Abel. Mm-hmm. And when God's like, uh, the very ground that soaked up your brother's blood is crying out to me. And, and he says, where's your brother at? He's like, am I my brother's keeper? And God didn't answer, but it's like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you are. You know, mm-hmm. why are you acting like, like you have, you know, no responsibility to your brother. You have every responsibility, and you are your brother's keeper. Mm-hmm. And and so, I mean, we've got to re- we've got to redeem some of that. Like we've we've whether it's because we say, oh, I can't judge, or I'm not my brother's keeper, or whatever. We've kind of walked away from our responsibility to our brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. And and look at look at the way the world's going now. I mean, we just had this tragic. Um, school shooting in Texas and and I really don't know like I haven't looked into that yet and I'll check it out in a while but I I decided with news whenever it's something big like that that I'm I'm only going to check it out when I feel like I'm ready there's so much horrible stuff that I see and hear and deal with that something that um, heartbreaking I can't process right now just with with whatever's in my life, I can't handle that situation right now. I'll dig into the who, what, whys of it soon. I guess but when, only when I'm ready. I but, guess. but why? Why is it a surprise that we have those situations? 
when we stopped caring about each other and our stop being our brother's keeper. I can sit down and ask him three questions, and 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 I bet you it, these three questions that I ask would ask him. All the question, all the answers would be he don't have a relationship with any. And I would ask him, how is his relationship with his mom? Mm. How is his relationship with his father? And depending on them two questions, them two answers, I can almost guarantee you don't relationship have a relationship with God. Yeah. If you don't have a relationship with God, it, it you know it gets back to that: no God, no peace. No God, no peace. Yeah. And and, and so if we don't if we don't put God first in everything. A whole life where wherever we're not putting God first at, it's gonna fall apart. Yeah, that's for certain. Um. So I think you were talking about the landing program and landing. everything, and if we can find, you know, some ways to get people. I don't know, single not single people out, but kind of identify people that need the right help. I mean, doctors do this right, or, or like let's. Think of a hospital triage after a natural disaster or something. Mm -hmm. They got triage set up where they're going to identify the different medical needs of each of those patients that are brought in, and they're going to treat them appropriately. And we've gotten to this point where we're somehow in this world we think that there's got to be a, um, you know, a cookie cutter solution to everything, and there's not. You know, we need to start addressing people's needs right where they're at. You can teach them that right there in a Sunday school setting, you know, and make it fun like a Sunday school setting, but you're teaching them, you know, through the 12 steps, yeah. how to overcome their, their hurts, habits, and hangups, and, and how to, to identify the issues that they're going through in life so they can overcome them. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of the, um, children are, are not identifying their, they're told, you know, shut up and listen to me. Mm. You do what I told you to do. You stop crying. You're sissies. Just you know, man up. Yeah. You know, and all these things that our that our fathers taught us. You know, so now now we're teaching that to our kids as well. You know, or we're cutting ourselves up completely out of the kids' lives, and and because we got to work, and mom's got to work, and the bills are you know, you got to work. 12-hour shifts yeah. d- d- to be able to maintain the house. And so then I have no directions. To tr- the streets are trained in teaching your kids. And depending on who they're hanging out with. Sure. And that's and, basically what taught me was my G.I. Joes and being mm-hmm. uh, in a piece of string in, the, in my room be, and, and then reading whatever was in front of me. You kind of grew up in that. I think they call it the latchkey generation, right? Like, you know, you're you're going to come home and your parents aren't home, you know, maybe. I mean, that's not everybody's situation, mm-hmm. but I'm saying that generation was experiencing that a lot. Mm-hmm. Just come home and there's no parents at home. You're responsible to take care of yourself and grow mm-hmm. up. And, um, and I mean, I certainly, I'm a few years younger than you, but I certainly knew a lot of kids like that too. And I, did, I didn't understand what latchkey meant. It was like, oh, I'm a latchkey kid. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what that meant, but it meant, you know, they're going home. There's nobody else there. A baby maybe maybe there. an older brother or sister or something, right. but that's about it. And and you know they're not really watching them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's you're fending for yourself. And there's like a whole group that have grown up that way. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to affect how you 
how you live or if you have kids can affect how you raise them and everything mm-hmm. um and and so you know each generation has its own like we all tend to point fingers you know boomers point fingers at millennials and vice versa mm-hmm. now the millennials are like oh these stupid gen z kids and all it's yeah. like you know i sit out here and and these high school kids with their stupid trucks that, that they'll i say stupid trucks i had a stupid truck it had it had dual exhaust glass packs no catalytic converters it was a it was a 350 v8 and i'm sure my neighbors hated it you know and i was i lived on a gravel road and i would spin those tires on that truck as far as i could up the road too and i'm sure i'm sure they hated me for that um but man i see these kids with their dumb trucks now and i don't understand it because they buy half a lift kit they just buy the front end they lift up the front end of their truck Mm -hmm. and they drag the back end down as low as they can and then they i don't know they put like a megaphone on their exhaust like they're louder than my truck ever was i had a loud truck and it's just so aggravating and there's this one punk yesterday going down the road and i'm outside and and he's literally just putting in neutral and wrapping that exhaust and it's like the snappy loud sound and it just it almost hurts it's so loud and i'm like oh you guys swear this generation and i'm like oh no i'm the old man now (laughs) you know like i'm the one like hating on the younger generations and i'm like okay you know we've all got to find that that grace and how to deal with each other but but going back to though every generation has to figure out like what were the deficiencies and how we were brought up and -hmm. how do i not pass those things on to the next generation but not create a new set of problems that i'm giving them i mean i was at a little kid's soccer game the other day somebody from our church and the the little kid's grandfather was like they're all going to get a a ribbon for playing you know like a participation ribbon basically and i said yeah but you know what it's not those kids fault because somebody older than them decided that that's how they're playing the game Mm -hmm. and and so they're going to grow up and they're not going to know any better so you know at some point we got to take responsibility for the messes that we've created (laughs) is Mm -hmm. what it boils down to but i can almost promise you that kid that that um went in and shot up that school was treated like an outcast was degraded talked down probably isolated at home didn't have nobody to talk to about his problems yeah and then he lashed out because he couldn't handle it no more and that's where I was as a child. Yeah. You know, I just went to a different extreme. I just wanted to end it all. And I did everything I could to do that. I turned to drugs. I turned to alcohol. I turned to suicide. I turned to a lot of things. I turned to the streets. And it wasn't because of me rescuing me out of them things. It was God rescuing me out of them things because I did everything I could do to kill myself. Yeah. And he got me out of it. Wow. So. So, so you traveled around a bit. You moved around here and there. You're down in Florida. You worked in mm-hmm. the Gulf. Um, you were married for a time mm-hmm. um, and then ended up being on the streets. Yes. And so we're skipping over a lot of details there, but, right. you know, maybe another time or something. But, um, but you know, I, I love a part of your story where, you know, a guy picked you up where you were, I mean, homeless and hungry. And... I was homeless for nine years there and De- well, seven years in Detroit. Um, and near the end of my, near, near the end of um, me being on the streets, there was a, I was in shorts. I, I didn't have no shoes on my feet. I was shorts. Um, in the middle of winter. And it was the middle of winter in Detroit. Um, 
and I was walking it down. It's cold. <laughs> I was walking down Pinkle, and I don't remember even where my shoes were. I, I I think it was a night that I was just I was high and I woke up and everything was gone. Um, I mean, like, cause that's life on the streets, right? Like, if you've got something, it doesn't even matter if it has zero value. It could be the box that you're sleeping. Well, in. there's people, will, people out there. Well, they do do that because they don't want to see you move ahead. Yeah. And 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 well, that's part of the problem too, right? On the streets is like if you start trying to climb out, people will grasp at you, trying to pull you back down in. Like, no, you do, you're not better than us. You know? And a lot of people, you know, they they don't understand. You know, you give somebody a backpack and 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 you see them the next day and they don't have the backpack, yeah. and it's because this person, you know, they fell asleep and it, however hap whatever happened happened. You know, and that's why I used to get after these guys. You need to secure your stuff better, you know, and try to teach them, you know, more responsibility and how to. But anyways, I, I didn't have my shoes and didn't have uh, my coat. And um, this guy, he said he passed by me and came back and he had his wife with him. And he goes, um, what are you doing out here? What are you doing? Where's your shoes and where's your? You don't have a coat? And I was like, no. And he says, I'll be right back. <laughs> so he come back and he had a pair of shoes and he had a coat for me. And and he goes, what are you doing with your life? You know. And we we talked for a while. And he goes, you just be right here. And I happened to be almost right in front of the building that he um he uh wanted to meet him back at. And I was like, here? Because I I. I there's been times I've been in there, you know, if you quit, you know, I made drug deals in the place and, you know, or, or what, what kind of a building, like what was it? It was a dot, it was a dot theater. Okay. And, um, like 25 cent peep shows and all. No, that. it was actually a movie theater okay. where you sat down. If you dared oh, to sit down in the seat. That's a nasty place. Like, yeah. it's not cool. Uh, yes. And, but, you know, you could go in there and there was girls, you know. So yeah. it was that type of, you know, whatever happened in the dark happened in the dark. So, you know, um, and he was the like. streets around there, you'd been right. in there before. Yeah. Right. So I was like, here? And he <laughs> says, yeah. We're. We're working in there, and I, I just need you to come back. So I helped him. You know, I was ripping out the seats and, and tearing up the carpet, which was, it was it was Ooh. horrible. It was nasty. It was yeah. bad, you know. Um, and so we were just gutting the place out, and all along, the guy didn't tell me who he was. So he was like, you know, after a while, he was like, you can sleep in here, man. He says, um, I trust you. And and so I slept in there, and there's times where I wake up with with money in my pocket, and hmm. even with money in my pocket, he knew I was gonna go out and get high. Yeah. But he didn't care. And he didn't judge me. He didn't condemn me. I there was always food there, and then eventually, uh, you know, he told me he was the pastor of this this facility, this 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 building, that they were making a church out of the, the <laughs> building. So um. But he really showed me compassion and love, and that's what I, I always go back to that when when I look at me supporting other people, um, because I know that that's how God Jesus. If he was to come, and and for all I know, that that could have been Jesus. For all I know, yeah, you know, um, 
is showing me that this is the way that you're supposed to love somebody else to me, to to Jesus. And, you know, sure. I'm you know, the, not condemning somebody, not not looking down on them, but just loving them in a way where they they eventually come to Him. You know, and that's really when I look back at my my story and the way I came to Christ. That was one great big stepping stone that that geared me to God was, you know, if I want to show anybody love, that's that kind of love that I would want to show them. Well, and and another part of your story that you've shared with me before is, um, is how you kind of got into church, into Celebrate Recovery Mm -hmm. after you moved down here to, you know, Florida, to Zephyr Hills, Tampa, you know, that area, and Mm -hmm. uh, just kind of went out looking for a good time one night, hit RJ's and... You know, maybe pick up that story and share that with us if you don't mind. Yeah, I I, I went into RJ's Well Wings, which I can sh- I, I I can share their story. I mean, they're they're naming their business because they're no longer in business no more. Right. Um, and I I walked into f- the facility and I had three thousand dollars in my pocket at that time, and I was just looking to have a good time and and get drunk and and I heard that that was a place to go at that time, so I walked in, and I'm standing there and. The waitress was just, she seemed like she was just talking her way at this table and taking her time. And and so finally I sat down and I, I she was walking by to, to go, I think, in the kitchen. And I asked her, I said, when you get a second, can I, can I just get a menu? And, yeah. and, and she just looked at me and kept walking. So, so I walked over to the bar and I... I ordered, went to order a drink, and the bartender looked at me, picked up her phone, turned her back, and walked to the other end of the bar. And I'm like, I'm standing there, and I'm standing received. there, and I, I'm like, man, I just want to get drunk. Yeah, you know, and nobody would wait on me, so I turned around and left, and I I headed out to Wesley Chapel, and when I headed out to Wesley Chapel, there was um. There was nothing open, mm-hmm. so I turned around, and when I turned around, there's a great big bill bar, bar board with um, a person with their arms crossed, a bunch of tattoos, and it said "Come as you are," and I was like, "Man, that looks like the place for me," and it was, I was like, "New Walk." I said, "I never heard of that, but it seemed like a pretty decent club." Yeah, so I got in touch with. Somebody there, I left a message, and um, when I did, uh, a gentleman by the name of KC ca- called me, and when he did, he um, he's like, "Well, we're at the YMCA. Come down here and talk to me." So what? Well, you know, I was like, "YMCA?" I say, "Oh, I... so I am going on to the YMCA," and and when I walked in, they still it was a the. The, the mood lighting and everything, the tables the way it was, and he, and I talked to Casey, and and then eventually I found out that this was a church, and this is of God, and um, this was the last week that they were at the YMCA, and I was like, man, God, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, what? Are you... And um, then I was introduced to the Celebrate Recovery leader. And um, and then 
the following week, I ended up going to where New Walk is now. And I've been going there ever since and was very involved with Celebrate Recovery. And now it's, um, I'm in my seventh year of being sober. Wow. Congratulations on that too, by the way. I mean, I know, I know you've had the support from the people in Celebrate Recovery. I know mm-hmm. God's, you know, God's pushing you along on that, but at the same time, it takes a lot of, you know, you've got to be committed to that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and so what was it like in those early days, like when you actually decided to get sober, stay sober, how big of a decision is that to, to actually say, okay, this is going to be me. You know, I'm not just going to cut back. I'm not just going to, you know, see if I can kind of keep it to a minimum or, or not rely on drugs and alcohol, but I'm actually going to live a sober life. Mm-hmm. What's it like to make that decision? Well, what I found was I tried to do everything. I tried to cut out porn out of my life. I tried to cut cut out alcohol. I tried to cut out drugs. I tried to cut, cut out the sex thing. There was a lot of things I tried to cut out all at once. Mm. And I was like, I'm, I'm done with all this. And when I failed at, you know, not picking up a beer. One of them. Then next thing I know, I'm I'm out here wanting to take a good joint. I'm I'm yeah. looking at porn all over again and doing all these things. So, you know, um, and then also, it's the internal stuff that's going on the inside. All these masks are are just that. You know, pornography is covering up a certain issue that you're not willing to give up. Drugs are are something you're running to because you don't want you know your anger's getting the best of you resentments, unforgiveness, all these things that you're not dealing with is driving you. Your hurt feelings and and, and your emotional well-being is not stable, so now you're running to drugs and alcohol because of that. So if you're not willing to, if you're not willing to deal with the internal stuff, yeah, the mask will be something that you'll deal with for the rest of your life. Wow. So that's why I, 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 I don't tell nobody I'm, I'm here to help you because I can't, you can't help me. Right. I, 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 you know, I can't help you. The only being that's ever been able to help me at all is God. Mm-hmm. That's it. You know, I can be there to support you and, and that's to, just to motivate you to move forward and support you along the way to, and, 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 and show you love and compassion to motivate you to move forward. I, I think of it like this. I can't help you, but I can be a conduit of grace or, a, mm. you know, a conduit of some kind of hope that can flow. Like, it can just flow through me. That's all I can be, you know, a conduit. Think of like a, you know, a hose or a pipe is a conduit to carry a liquid mm-hmm. uh, or electric wires run through a conduit. All that conduit's job is for something to feed those wires through. And, mm-hmm. and so if I can be a conduit of God's grace, you know, in those times in your life where, where you know, if I'm walking with you and I see you know, see something where you need a little bit more of God's grace and be like, hey man, listen, you know, here's here's God's grace in this situation. Um, I think that's important mm-hmm. to, to remember your limitations, mm-hmm. both as somebody that's helping and also you knowing where your weaknesses are, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got to know those those like trigger points that, that are, it, it's easy to, to undo 70 years of sobriety, right? Yes. Like that's, you can never just rest on that and say, okay, I've been sober seven years. I'm, I'm probably good from here on out. That's a continual threat <laughs> to it, isn't it? <laughs> one drink, one drink. So I had somebody tell me the other day, I mean, I wouldn't say the other day, about a month ago, 
Florence, man, you know, we're over here celebrating. When are you come on over? And I was like, you're celebrating. <laughs> I said, you want me to come over? I said, you guys drinking? And he goes, yeah, yeah well, <laughs> one beer ain't going to hurt you. And I said, one beer would kill me. Yeah. You're right. It won't hurt me. Because it won't me. just be one, right? One beer, one beer will end up two beers. Then I, I'm not a beer person. Yeah. So I'm going to want a shot. Right. One shot. Now I'm I'm going to the store because maybe what you got is not going to be strong enough for me. Yeah. You know I want some moonshine, so that's where I'm. <laughs> that's where I'm going. Yeah. You know, and then then that's not good enough. I'm next thing I know I'm going to be out here wanting some dope. Yeah. So it's you know I don't have a I then I won't have my home. I don't want have my I won't have my car. I won't gone. have anything because yeah. all of it's gone. And and and, and everybody's like, well, that's before. a period of time, and I was like, well, the period of time is like instantly with me. Yeah. Because I don't stop. Yeah, you've I don't, been there before. I don't, and, and I can't, I can't say that I'm going to live through that. Yeah. Because I, I, you know, I went to jail and almost didn't live through jail. Right. And I was sober in there. <laughs> I already know how God gets a hold, grabs a hold of me, and gets my attention, and I, I just know that that's the attention that He grabbed a hold of me and told me that. There's not a, there's not another, another chance out there that Lawrence, you know, and he's not going to let me go through that again. He'll end up put, putting me somewhere where he's going to get my attention like that. So, you know, I want to back up a little bit. You talked about several different things. Um, you know, you talked about drugs, booze, pornography, different mm -hmm. masks that we have. Um, you know what? I mean, it's probably hard to say which one of those is really worse than the other. There's some things that are done in public. You know, a lot of times drug use is a small circle or a private thing. Mm -hmm. Most people aren't out, you know, in front of the world, you know, shooting up heroin. You know, you're doing that in a in a den or in a private room or whatever. You know, it's just a small amount of people that are part of that. Drinking is something people do socially, you know. Pornography is something people try to keep hidden. But the reality and the statistics are, I don't even, I'm bad with statistics, but it's, it's like, it's like three quarters of our population especially of men and, and a good chunk of women are involved in regular consumption of pornography. They say one out of three hurt. people, one out of three people on your church. Yeah. You can go in your church and go one, two, three, porn. One, two, three, porn. And one and, it's, three. and it's not always just who you might guess. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like don't just don't just point the finger and say, Oh, it's gotta be that person and that person. You never know. And that's one of those things that it it, it it's hidden so much and so well. And yet it's so destructive. And, and as I mean, as a pastor, I've seen the effects that it has. And it's hard to say that it was just the one thing. You know, there's usually other symptoms, other other pitfalls, other sins that accompany it. But but it's you, you said earlier about, you know, like you can ask three questions. How's your relationship with your mama, your daddy and, and with God? Um, I I've never done this, but there's times where I've wanted to ask people when they're starting to talk about things that aren't working out with them. I want to say. How much porn are you watching? You know what I mean? Like, like because that's something that actually destroys your soul. Mm -hmm. And you think that that doesn't have a ripple effect on things around you. You think it's a victimless crime. Mm -hmm. Then maybe your act of viewing pornography isn't harming directly the people that were involved in it. But the fact that you are consuming it and so many millions of other people are consuming that is, is creating an industry where they need workers. And so now you've got porn workers, sex workers, whatever, that are in that industry because somebody's got to do it and they found a way to make some money, but it ends up sucking their entire soul in with it. Mm -hmm. And and you're involved in something that's actively destroying people's lives. And it's like, why in the world are we going to take part in something like that? 
and and yet at the same time just kind of like we were talking about abortions earlier we're taught that it's a victimless event that it's just a private thing you know that that oh what people do in their own privacy their own bedrooms their own whatever is their business but it's like not when you're creating victims of other people and 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 also ruining all your relationships around you do you know how many people die yearly because of the porn industry i i wouldn't even have a clue how many people actually get sold into sex slaves and then yeah. they don't turn out and, and and they don't do what they're told to do and then they find them in a ditch somewhere or they find them yeah. you know or they don't find them at all it's, they did come up missing it's almost like pornography is a gateway drug for human human sex trafficking you know stop I mean? and look at how many kids that we've had here come up missing right yeah. here locally I'm, I'm telling you it breaks my heart when i see so often um, especially pasco county sheriff's department and a lot of times on zebra's police department on their facebook pages so often help us find this missing child now a lot of times those are a kid that ran away from maybe a terrible situation at home but that's where um most human trafficking actually a lot of it starts if they get teenagers especially um it starts from kids that ran away they might go to a bus stop a train station and just you know get the hell out of dodge and 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 they end up being picked up somewhere because they go somewhere where they don't have they don't know anything or anyone and somebody picks them up and then ends up befriending them only to traffic them you know, dealing, dealing with the clients I deal with. Yeah. How many of them, the women, oh man, have been turned out and do, you know, to the sex trade or whatever, be forced into doing things, or had had to to be able to provide, maybe a motel room so they can take a shower or or right. or be able to put a food you know a meal in their stomach, or even dope for the next day. But still, in a situation, started on dope and they can't right. get off of it. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, this is something that that people don't talk about. You yeah. know, and and most people that are that are end up on the street are not. They don't. They're not on the street because of drugs. Right. They're on the street because they couldn't deal mentally with the things that was going on at home, and the drugs started off because. That was the only thing that they could turn to to deal with the pain and the agony they're going through, and or they end up on the street because their parents kicked them out, or or their parents got arrested and they didn't want to get locked up in a home somewhere, so they end up turning the street, and the, and to be able to deal with the pain on the street, they turn to drugs so they can sleep or they can deal with the, their mental stuff that they're dealing with, um, because of what they're seeing on the street so they turn to yeah. drugs yeah. or they turn to alcohol and 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 so the misconception that a lot of people think is oh, they're on the street because of drugs i would say 75 percent of the people that's out, out here didn't start because of drugs they ended up on drugs because of the way the streets are yeah you know we've had a lot of discussions in this community like what do we do um you know, and, and I'm not just talking like a couple of people sitting around feeling hopeless. We're talking multiple organizations working together, trying to find solutions for um, especially people that are homeless or, or people that are hovering just above being homeless. I mean, they're barely hanging on by a small thread, you know, and that's the next step for them is being homeless, maybe living in their car if they still have one or something like that. And, and you know, we look at that and we're like, what's the answer? What's the solution to this 
And one of the things that keeps coming up over and over is mental health. And mm-hmm. we know that. Like, we understand that. We have the, the stats and the figures and the studies to prove it. And yet, you know, like at the national level, we're talking about, oh, well, healthcare is a basic human right. You know, it's like, well, what about what about mental health care? Why isn't that? If one is, then the other must be too, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, like if, if you say everybody deserves good um, medical care, well, what about mental care? You know, and you were talking like when you were growing up, yeah, it wasn't really a thing. You know, I've got a friend that um, she's a bit older than you, but she grew up in Texas and she was dyslexic, but they didn't have a diagnosis for that. And if they did, it hadn't hit East Te- or West Texas yet. Mm-hmm. And so she'd be sitting there and not writing her letters and stuff properly. And she'd get whacked over the hand with a ruler, you know, mm-hmm. like, hey, straighten up and act right. And she's like, I'm doing the best I can. This is all I've got. Yeah. And, and it's like, we've come so far in our knowledge and in our understanding and yet you know we come across people every day almost that we're like they're in need of some kind of counseling therapy it might be medication i think that's overused but i'm not an expert so i can't speak to that but but they're in need of some some stuff that we know how to provide it as a society and yet who's paying for it that's what it always boils down to right or Mm -hmm. or if you can get you can't even get an appointment you know because they're booked solid why aren't we doing better? And I know you don't have the answer to that. I can I mean, tell you why, why we're, we're not better? doing better is because we lost our compassion and our love for the human race. Mm. Um, we don't. We we can tell them, don't come back here, go away. Yeah. You know, turn our backs and 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 don't have to see them again. Out of sight, out of sight, out of mind. Right. You know, if I don't see you, I don't. They're, they're not a problem. Yeah. You know, and, 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 but the thing is, is if you don't have the, the ability to deal with the problem, then, then what do you do? Sure. You know, and when you're, when you're in a city as small as we are, there's got to be, they have to do something to deal with the issues, you know, and, and, and I would say the city is doing what they can to deal with the issues. The thing is, is my compassion and my love for the people that I deal with, my clients that I deal with is greater than, I mean, I have somewhat of the knowledge, but the thing is, is when you don't have the finances, you don't have the, the, the ability to yeah. do what you you want to do. Your hands are tied, you know. You know, you brought up finances and, and you know, money makes the world go round. And, you know, that's all true. Um, but so many people, you know, they say, oh, I want to help out or I want to do something. It's like, well, there might be a volunteer operator. A lot of times people want to volunteer because it makes them feel like they've contributed somehow. Mm-hmm. But in all honesty, sometimes the answer truly is we need more money. Mm-hmm. And and if you're sitting on it and not giving it, maybe maybe well, you're not standing in the way, but there, you're, you're not doing what you can do. And that's not to say, like, feel guilty if you don't have money to give or anything like that. But if you can, it's kind of like, hey, let's step up. Because um, if, if I know somebody that needs to go to therapy or counseling to get help for their mental health problems that might lead to them either um, abusing somebody else or committing suicide or just be being and remaining homeless, whatever it might be. And it's like, and all it means is we need a few hundred bucks here and there to go to a, a counselor or a therapist. It's like, and that's the only thing keeping them from getting healthy. Why should that be the thing that stands in the way? You know what I mean? Like, let's, I don't know. I run a nonprofit called Food and Fellowship here locally in Zebra Hills. I'm not looking for sponsors. I'm not looking for nobody to sit there and say, here you go, Lawrence, here's a, here's 
a million dollars to go over here and buy a facility. I don't care who's doing it. Yeah. I I don't even want to be in charge. I I, I mean I, I I don't even have to have my hands involved into it. You just but want it, to know that it's there. I I just like with the conversation that happened happened with Healing Hearts Cafe. I just I kept on praying to God and saying God. We just need somewhere where people can take a shower, people can get off the streets, people need, you know, to be able to have some kind of stability to sit there and make sure that there's food there every single day of the week. Healing Hearts Cafe came about, and I was able to stop and only do my outreach one day a week. Yeah. It's amazing. All right. Now, all I'm saying is we need a live-in facility here in Z- on this side of Pasco County where people can go into... It could be a three-stage three program where they can come in and each stage they graduate from. So if they're not, if they don't graduate from the first stage, they don't, they don't get to go to the second stage. Mm-hmm. The third stage would get them a mini home. Yeah. And they could be able to put that mini home where, you know, even if it was for the next stage, us um, buying or whoever uh, buying some property that they can put this mini home on and, 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 then have these people pass on this mini home to the next people in line but this way people are 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 actually finding hope they they see people are willing to support them the walls come down they get the mental health that they treated that they need to be treated and they're moving forward in life instead of being caught up on this hamster wheel that they're caught up on and they're not going nowhere now it's costing the taxpayers more money it's costing it's costing the local government more headaches and heartaches it's costing the 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 police more issues Mm -hmm. you got local businesses that's 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 um having the issues because whatever's going on around the local businesses then you have people that's scared to go around because of yeah. what's being attracted. So instead of in, turning, and I don't want to come across and say this in the wrong way, there's times where it's if we don't see the issue, the issue don't exist. Mm. Yeah, you know. So if we can sit there and it's tell them like to go somewhere the on the horse, like as long as it doesn't see what's over there, nothing's going on. It's just looking straight ahead. Right. And, and it's, it's easier to assume there's no problem. There's no issue. There's no homeless problem or whatever. Right. If I act like I don't see it. Right. Oh, that person riding a bike down the road is doing it for exercise. Not because that's their only mode of transportation, probably literally to a tent city or a tent camp. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying, I, please don't, I, I'm not pointing fingers. All I'm saying is, Instead of us, our human nature at times, right? And that can work its way all the way up through an organization or an institution or or a city government or whatever it is. It can work its way through all of that. Just that idea of like, hey, I don't, I didn't see that. I didn't notice that the problem was that bad. Mm -hmm. And 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 if we can just open our eyes and have some compassion and love, and and if if we just came up with a piece of property. There's pieces of pro- it don't have to be in Zephyr Hills. It could be wherever, all right, wherever that piece of property is that we can designate and run it, and 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 then send the people there to to motivate to move forward. I think our issues 
would be not as bad as they are. Yeah. Well, and there's a couple things at play here. One, every any solution has to be um, multifaceted and comprehensive. Mm. Any if there is ever going to be a solution to um, helping to get people off the streets, and I say helping to because they really have to be ready and, and willing to change. I mean, um, over at um, a Helping Rock where I kind of first met you, which I mean, who knows what that organization's even doing anymore? I don't know, but that was one of their you know their director that they had had at the time was that was always one of his things was people have to be ready and willing to change um, before we can do anything and and regardless of other things that happened there that was a true statement you know mm -hmm. nobody can really change so it, it has to be a multifaceted approach and it has to have people in the program that are ready to embrace that change but um, you know if we're not addressing substance abuse mental health you know we talked about pornography let's just go ahead and say that 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 is a problem um and and if somebody's like oh my little kid you know my my 11 year old son is it yeah <laughs> you got one of these you give him a cell phone i guarantee he's looking at porn you know I, what I promise mean? you when you're sitting in there in the bathroom for an hour he's not just sitting there yeah the crap. exactly <laughs> so, so it's like it's like stop being naive about the things that are going on you know let's address this stuff let's start teaching our kids at a young age like don't do this you know like don't get sucked into this don't be part of this um but but so for like the homeless people you're right there's got to be there's got to be a location a property a home uh you know like apartments or whatever it might be um, I love the small house idea of what you're saying is like, let's get some, you know, we could, you know, not to be trendy with tiny houses, but if you have these little things that are portable, mm -hmm. that somebody can live in, it's just, just the basics, mm -hmm. but then you can get them a piece of land and kind of like the Habitat for Humanity uh, model where mm -hmm. they have sweat equity. It's like, let's start building you something, but that you're going to have some, you know, involvement in, and you're going to have to pay for it. Like, we'll get you a loan. It's low interest. It's government backed, whatever. But you've got to, you got to make the payments on it. But we're, we're going to get you stable first. We're going to get you off the substances. We're going to get you some mental health stability stuff. We're going to get you set up with everything that you need. We're going to get you trained for a job. And there's organizations that will do all of these things. Mm -hmm. But the biggest problem is the housing itself. Like, we have all the other pieces to the puzzle. Um, I've got a friend that she's always doing puzzles and she's posting them online and every now and then she'll get one where they they bought a new puzzle box thousand pieces two thousand pieces and there's one missing piece and mm -hmm. can you imagine how aggravating that is when you're putting this thing together and you spend hours over it with a friend working on it and then there's a missing piece from the factory and you're like we can't finish this puzzle like it's pretty much finished but it's not so finished. if if we have the idea of the the, 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 the many houses and we can get them up to a certain standard. They got, they're going to have you to know, match somebody's code for so, it. So why can't we have the local government deal with this and, and find a way of, you know, uh, dealing with this this scenario? You know, you, may it You be, and I both know what the next thing that happens is. Then everybody's the starting to do it. You no, know, it's going to be the NIMBYs, you know, not mm -hmm. in my backyard people. They're going to say, well, don't do it in the property next to me. You know, mm -hmm. this is a great idea do it over there somewhere else you know that's always going to be and, and so that reminds me um um were you at the hub meeting a couple months back where beth had the the gentleman from orlando that had been voluntarily mm -hmm. homeless i forget his name um man this guy was awesome he voluntarily became homeless for 13 months like left his wallet his phone mm -hmm. just brought his id and that was it and hit the street and he's like i'm going to be a homeless person I don't have a safety net. I mean, he does essentially, but like, mm -hmm. you know, this is it. This is me. And he lived that homeless life and 
13 different cities, I think. He, he moved around the country doing that um, to experience life as a homeless person with all the challenges and struggles, but also, I mean, not gathering intel, but like when you're on the same level as someone else, they'll be freer with sharing their story and their details. So he's like intent on figuring out a solution. So when he comes back to Orlando after working on all this, and the guy's like a school teacher. I mean, he's not, you know, he's not working. His job, his main job wasn't um, working in social services or something. And so uh, he did start working though within his community and in his city to um, to start curtailing the, the homeless problem. And so they worked from the mayor's office on down on a campaign that actually, um, I don't know what his terminology is, terminology would be, but I say they made it sexy to help homeless people. Mm-hmm. They just, they, they made it, they put a shine on it and said, like, this is the cool thing to do. Um, if you want to be cool, help homeless people. And they just, they made it interesting and exciting. And that's when it started changing. But one of the stats, this is the thing I was getting to with all that. I think the number was something like $44,000 a year is what it costs the municipality, the government to, to support. I mean, in, in services, in economic, um, you know, like homeless people do create a mess, a lot of trash at times. They, they, they're a drag on the economy in that way for the services that it takes to clean up after them. Um, there, some of, sometimes there's a lot of theft, petty theft that goes on a lot of, the, the doctor's office for somebody that has no medical insurance, no transportation, is a, an ambulance. Mm-hmm. That's their regular doctor's office. That's expensive. That's not healthy. That's not good health. But that's unfortunately where it is. And so it costs over $40,000 a year per homeless person. Mm-hmm. So what if we instead said, let's invest 50000 per person for three years in getting them off the streets? That doesn't cost us anything. That saves us money. But it also restores that person's dignity, humanity, honor, and life. And then... What does that look like for a community to do that? And then when you look back and your community is doing that... Yeah. You know, the thing is, is they're scared that now you're going to have more people, more people come. coming in. Um, and and so what? So, so, I mean, so what, what, what if that happens? <laughs> what if that happens? Can you imagine if we actually like rehabilitated a whole bunch of people to the point where we got a reputation for it and we brought like outsourced, you know, like more homeless people came in. We, we've, we've got people that are um, running businesses, running companies, starting jobs that, that know that lifestyle. And they say, well, let's hire that person because I've walked in their shoes. I know what life is like. And so I think, I think there's a, a principle that I don't even know what you would call it, but I think there's a principle at play that says that that'll come back around. It's not karma. I don't believe in that. I think that's a load of crap. Um, but I think that there's the providence of God, and I think that there's just simple economics at play there that says if you do the right thing, then it it's not going to hurt you financially. God so says that you reap it. what you sow. So, you know. As a man soweth, so he, so he reapeth, to go mm-hmm. the King James route. You know, whatever you sow, you're going to reap back. And, and so don't. Don't be sparing in how much seeds you throw on the ground. Like, plant that stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, Lawrence, I think this has been, um, this has been, you know, um, a lot of different emotions. I mean, we've talked about deep and heavy stuff. Again, thanks for sharing your story. Um, we've talked about things that affect every city and every community across the country and across the world. And, um, 
I don't know the answer. I don't think you do either as far as like the solution for where do we find land, where do we find housing, all those things. All I know is what helped me and it was turning my life over to God. And, yeah. and you know, I didn't, I just, God put the pieces together for me. I didn't, every time I tried to put the pieces together, I failed. Yeah. Every time I just turned, you know, even when I was not saved and it was, you know, um, it was just, God was just intervening and I was not serving him. All along the way, he was intervening to, yeah. for me to be who I am today. Here's the theology nerd in me. We call it prevenient grace. It's God's grace that goes ahead of you. It's mm -hmm. preparing the way for you to come to him. And that's what what it is now. Now I'm just a witness for him. You and, know. And the same way that you were um, approached by that pastor, you know, in, on Finkel in Detroit, you know, or, or the same way that you thought you were going to a nightclub here in, in Zephyr Hills and, and there's a church, you know. That's something that only, I mean, nobody's dumb enough to think that that's a nightclub meeting at the YMCA. Mm -hmm. But that was God just allowing you to be blinded enough by what you thought you were stepping into because there's no way you were going to step into a church at that point. Um, you know, you, you weren't ready for that in your own mind, but God knew mm -hmm. you were ready for that. and He just had to get you in there. You can call it a bait and switch or whatever you want. They didn't do that. You know, I say, I think God baited you on that one. And he's like, you're like, oh, I'm at a church. Well, they had a picture of me on the billboard, essentially. You know, mm -hmm. a guy sitting there with, you know, tattoos on his arms, just kind of sitting there with his arms crossed, like, and, and that spoke to you. And so I'm grateful for, you know, churches like New Walk that honestly, they're able to welcome people that I don't know that the congregation that meets at my church would, would know how to welcome them mm -hmm. i don't think it's that they're unwilling they just don't know how to and maybe someday we'll be there you know maybe someday we'll learn how to do that um and at the same time your church does it well nick i mean easter christmas thanksgiving there's not a time where you your church don't open up your doors and and, and do the things you that's, know that's true but i mean on a, like on a weekly regular basis of knowing how to welcome in a stranger who is um who's kind of riding riding low you know as far as um how well they're doing with with piloting through life um we don't always know how to care for them properly and we're learning though and when we got some great folks that want to it's just a matter of um you know well it's partially my job as as the the pastor to like say okay we're gonna we're gonna learn uh i, I gotta i gotta help equip you or teach you how to do that stuff um and we do have a, a great opportunity that I'm really excited about, uh, not just the opportunity, but um, the response that I've had from several folks in my church. We've been having these discussions recently and we're planning sessions about um, coming up in June, just in a few days here, Healing Hearts Cafe is doing some remodeling and cleaning and things like that. And they're going to be shut down. They're only going to be serving meals. And, and for those that don't know, Healing Hearts Cafe is... Um, they are a place where homeless people or, or not necessarily homeless, just people that are, um, people in need, in need of some kind, maybe they're in need of a meal or something else. They've got showers there. They've got laundry facilities. Um, if somebody doesn't have a, an address, they can, uh, set that as their address and get their ID that way and get their mail there. And so there's a lot of different things that they do. And then of course they connect them with other ministries, other organizations that provide different things, whether it's, um, 
Metropolitan Ministries Brigade coming in and helping patch up some of their things, or the Pasco County Coalition for the Homeless working on their housing situation. There's all kinds of different stuff that comes in. You do some partnerships with them mm -hmm. from time to time. They help people get their IDs. There's a ton of stuff that they do or that is done there at that place, but they're going to be closed down in June. And when I heard about that, I said, well, our church is a block up the street. We've got showers. Um, we've got facilities there. And so I gathered a team of people around me to brainstorm about it a few days ago. And, and we're like, well, we've got the showers, so we just need people to run those and need a few other things. And so we talked about them. And they said, well, what about, you know, clothing facility, washer and dryer? I'm like, I don't know, but we got to figure something out. And you're like, well, what if you found an enclosed trailer and put a set in there? I'm like, I've got an enclosed trailer that's just sitting there empty right now. We could put a washer and dryer in there, and that way they can stay locked up that, you mm -hmm. know, when we're not using it. We'll hook up to this, um, you know, the sewer drain system where there's like a clean out and, and hook a garden hose up for cold water. Mm -hmm. But it'll it'll be, it's just for a month. It's temporary. Mm -hmm. But we'll open a couple days a week and open for showers and laundry. And it's not much, but it's something that we can do. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if you can do something and you know the need, you should be doing it. And so it was great having these people around me from the church saying, well, we could do this, we could do that. I'll help out with this. I'll help out with that. And it was just this moment where I was like, this is what I've been looking for for seven years here. I'm not the one. I just said, here's the need. Here's what we can do. Mm -hmm. And they're all coming up with the solutions. And it's like, as I'm looking at it and people are volunteering, I'm like, where am I supposed to jump in here? Like, they've got all the holes filled. And I'm like, this is great. I'll still be around. Like, I'm going to show up. But it's like, this is exactly how it starts, I think, is when a group of people says, well, we can step up and do this. If so I'm want, excited about it. If you need me to f fulfill a meal or something like that, if you want to do that. They're still providing the meals and the takeout. You, I'm just yeah. putting it out there. If you need me to yeah. come over and cook or anything like that, let me know. And then I can come over and help. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm free to be able to do that now, so so I get just put I got you. Yeah, no, it's um it's it's definitely, you know, I think there's room for that to um to grow into something more, but at the same time we're not trying to duplicate somebody else's thing just like you've talked about. Mm -hmm. But we're able to step in in a pinch when there is that need. And and so maybe we'll close with that, you know, if there's something that God has given you the ability, whoever whoever it is, if God's given you the ability to do something, and, and blessed you with the resources to help out or to make it happen, um, don't let that hold you back, you know? And and don't ever say, well, what can I do? You know, no, absolutely, get out there and, and do it. And, you know, you and I and, and several others, we're all working to see our community changed um, because we've seen the change that God can do. You've known that change in your life. We're working to see this community changed, and, and I believe we will. Can I add one more thing, Nick? Absolutely. Um, this is this is this is your your episode. I'm just the thing is it. is there was a time that I was I was a homeless dumpster diving dopehead that had that I got high to die. Wow. I and my inspiration every single day was to to have enough money for the next day to get high enough that maybe I die the next day. That was my inspiration daily. All right. That was up until I was 45 years old, all right? Um, I didn't have no goals. I didn't have, I, I, I just existed to exist. Hmm. Now I run a 501c3 non, non-profit 
called Food and Fellowship that that has supported 11 people off the street. We've actually brought five people to Christ, and two of them are going to church regularly. Um, that was that was what God has done through our 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 nonprofit. It was it was all brought off from just wanting seeing a need in our community that nobody was providing food on Sunday, so we started out on Sunday. Somebody come to me and said, Lawrence, nobody we're we're hungry in the morning. Nobody's doing this, so I started coffee and donuts at the park. Then they went from that, Darren, um, nobody was providing lunch. So we did co coffee and donuts. Then we we did lunch. And we were doing that six days a week. And then it went from that to um, COVID time came. And we were, we were open. We were open seven days a week, doing seven days a week. Um, and providing clothing, hygiene items. And, and doing so much for the, the local community. Then Healing Hearts Cafe opened. I'm just saying that God will direct you. You you know inside you what your calling is in life. If you're not if you're not doing your calling, you're disobeying God. That's just we we all have a calling to do in our and somebody's going to help because you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And, so and, and somebody might be living in hell on earth waiting for you to do what you're supposed, you're supposed to, to do too doing. so you know whatever and 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 i like how you were saying that you know you were doing that stuff as the need kept increasing as you became more and more aware of certain needs you you were able to meet them and god provided for mm -hmm. for that you know like those meals weren't coming out of your pocket you know god was donating it through other mm -hmm. organizations and people but then um as healing hearts was able to get a lease on their building a little over a year ago i think um they uh you know, they kind of took up some of that. And mm -hmm. so you found yourself fading away as far as like how much some of that was needed. And, and so I think that's, um, that's a reminder to a lot of us, you know, God might put you in a certain place for a season, for mm -hmm. a reason. And that almost sounds like a, something you would put a hashtags, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I don't, uh, for a season, for a reason, you know, but, but you would be, um, you know, but always be, be willing to know that God might say, okay, that was just for now. And and I just needed you to do that until this person over here heard what they were supposed to do and finally started mm -hmm. listening and doing it. But that doesn't mean God's done with you. No. That just means, you know, he's like, you got to be willing to listen. And in that time in between things, maybe it's time for us to say, okay, God, I just want to spend this time getting as close to you as I can, because I feel like there's, it's kind of like if you're, um, if you're whitewater rafting, you know, you go over some, some, you know, small waterfalls some some little junior falls, and then it's a little calm for a minute, take some deep breaths because there's more turbulence up ahead. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, it's more stuff that threatens to throw you out of that boat. You got to be ready to hang on and paddle for dear life. But if you didn't have the strength, if you didn't learn how to deal with them small, them small yeah. rapids, you're not going to be able to deal with right. the big ones ahead of you. Right. So you, he's building you up. Even when you're at the the peak of the mountaintop, it takes a lot of strength to be on the mountaintop. Yeah, you know, because you got to come back down. Oh yeah. So just know that um, at any time that you're walking with God, you 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 you, you got to take them times, even in your times that you're, you, everything's quiet. You got to build up your momentum and your strength.
Well, Lawrence, thanks for uh, thanks for being here today. We're going to close with that, and also um, in the show notes, I'll have a couple things in there in the description. But um, I'll also, um, if I can find them, I know you've written a couple different or like five, I think, different books. Yeah. And I'll try to put a link to as many of those as I can uh, find on there. And uh, if anybody's interested in checking them out, maybe um, purchasing them. I know you've given a lot of them away at times. Mm-hmm. You know. It, it's, it's nothing that you're living off of or anything. It's just, you know, you put it out there if it would be a benefit to others. And so um, perhaps something that we've talked about might, you know, somebody might need to hear a little more about that. So it might be a benefit to them. I'll also link to uh, Celebrate Recovery mm-hmm. uh, because I think that's something a lot of people need. Could you give me like 30 seconds to a minute of, you know, just what Celebrate Recovery is? Because somebody might be like, I don't even know, like, if I would fit in there if I need to go there. Right. People, all right, I don't want to confuse Celebrate Recovery with NA or AA. Right. It's a 12-step program, but we don't deal with a mask. The mask meaning that the habit itself. We don't deal with the drugs. We don't deal with the alcohol. We don't. We deal with the things that's causing you to turn to the alcohol and the drugs and everything else. So we deal with the heart issues. And dealing with the internal stuff will stop you from going back to whatever you were doing to, to cover it up. So it is a 12-step program. We we are very tight-knit because we know that we um, have to hold each other accountable. And when we say we're your brother, we are truly your brother, or we truly are your yeah. sister. Yeah. So if somebody came to celebrate recovery because they have some of these Kurt's habits and hangups, it's not just substance abuse. It could be any number of things, codependency, all kinds of stuff. Uh, you know, suffered from abuse, got anger and rage, mm-hmm. whatever it might be. They're going to come to a celebrate recovery. What can they expect? What's a what's a meeting or a session going to look like? When you first come in, you're greeted. Um, we also we sing three three sets of songs. I mean, three songs. Um, then we either have a, a testimony or we go over a step. Um, and we, um, we go through the 12 steps in a year. Okay. And then we start back over again. Um, and the first Monday of every month, we, we, um, have a meal. Okay. So we sit down at, at 6.30. Um, it generally starts at 7. Uh, first Monday of every month, we start at 6.30, sit down in fellowship and then have a meal. And um, and that's generally when we hand out our chips, which okay. you know uh, we have our chips ceremony, and um, then we just do it all over again every week. So. And, and if somebody wants to um, get involved a little further with it, the, you have step studies. Things we like have that. step studies, um, and all that stuff can be learned. The first thing is uh, just to come. Yeah, and show up. Yeah, absolutely. I'm you saying know, there is more to it. If, there's if, more to it. We we actually have leadership training. We have step studies. We have ways of get, you know, and then we also have sponsors. We have people that are accountability people that you can be accountable to. So it's not just about going to the meeting. It's all about um, change, you know, and whatever we can do to support you to, to change. That's what we're there for. Absolutely. All right. So if you need help, there's places out there that'll help you get where you need to be and so um, seek that out find that and if there's any way that um, that I that Lawrence or I can help direct you where you need to go whether you're here locally or even somewhere else across this country we can help you find um, the the places that'll get you the help that you need 
and uh, we just want to see each and every person live up to what God has designed them to live and called them to live. And so uh, you can send me uh, an email at talkwithnickaboutanything at gmail.com. And I'll get back with you for sure on that if you need any kind of help. Thanks for listening and paying attention and, and watching. Lawrence, thanks for being here. And we'll look forward to, um, you know, maybe talking again sometime in the future and seeing a little bit else of what God's doing in this community, maybe brainstorming about ways that uh, people can get, you know, involved in some of these things we we're talking about with homelessness and stuff like that. So till next time, uh, we'll, we'll talk later. So right on. Thank you.